episode sounds promising we'll see it either it either goes really well go one or two really bad like (laughs) we have a history i gotta do some mic adjustments here lay down mr mike i will to be adjusting you (laughs) oh the russian accent's coming out early (laughs) i will to be cracking your back you know my Russian accent is not as good as it should be. You know who I've decided I see Tempe as? Who's that? Daniel Craig. No. What? That's ridiculous. Why would you... <laughs> Don't bring that weak ass shit here. He's James Bond. That's why. He's, that's why he can't be Tempe. I mean, Daniel Craig. You know who I see as Tempe? Who? James Franco. <laughs> From Pineapple Express. Oh, more tits than wits. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, you're right. Right? You're right. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, Daniel Craig, you know, he, he might be stupid, but he's supposed to be James Bond. Like, it's ridiculous. That's hilarious. <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. I'm the Duchess. I'm the Duke. And today we're talking about Patrick Rothfuss's fabulous book, The Wise Man's Fear. We're going over chapters 136 through 142 today. That's right. You know what else is really important about today? What's today? I can smell my own feet from here. Okay. I mean, it's bad. That's all right. You're, it's not normally this bad, is what I'm trying to say. There, you've you've got me, by the way. The ring's on it. <laughs> you don't have to explain away your strange odors at this point. I'm in. I'm committed. So, uh, what are we talking about next week? Next week is the last week oh, that's for right. covering this book. Next week, we are talking about chapters 143. All the way to the end of the novel. To the end, including the epilogue. So I don't even know if there is an epilogue, but um, so we are we're going to be co- wrapping it up, and I'm really excited because I really like the ending of this book. It's very strong, so I'm I can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. But I can't wait to hear what you thought about this week as well because I I really like this section also. Do you want to go over the what the spoiler policy? Yeah, so the spoiler policy very quickly, and this is the last episode for the King Color Chronicle that we'll have to give the spoiler policy because next week we're at the very end. After this, you can spoil, you whatever, can spoil whatever you want. You want. <laughs> Except for the slow regard of silent things. So our spoiler policy is simply this. Liz has read the books. I have not. So we will not spoil anything after chapter 142 of The Wise Man's Fear. Correct. And do you want to catch listeners up on what we talked about last week? So last week was where Quoth left, you know, the tail end of him leaving a Demre. 
we kind of picked up where, you know, after the fight that he had with Carceret, he leaves a Demray. He runs into a troop of Edamaru who weren't really Edamaru. He kills them all, rescues two girls in the process, returns those girls to the town of Levenshire, where he is met with a mixture of both approval, praise, and scorn. And then that's really, and then he's on his way out of town at the very end of that last episode. So this week, the section that we're covering, uh, we start with an interlude where Coat sadly gets his donkey kicked. He does. It's super sad. It's pretty um, sad. But he managed, but in, in the flashback, he returns to the mayor and they begin to have an intriguing conversation about the Amir, but both puts his foot in it, gets in a fight with Lady Lockless, and uh, is fo- forced to leave. So he gets, we are covering all the way up to his return to Hogwarts with a big fat letter of credit. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's what we're talking about today. Yep. He rolls back up into Imre with his spinner rims. I was just going to say spinner rims. He got a big old floppy purple suede hat, some spinner <laughs> rims. You know, the problem with spinner rims is from inside the car, you can't even see them bitches spin. It's true. It's true. It's also a joke that I stole. It's a good one. It's worthy <laughs> of stealing. There you go. Cat Williams will forgive me. <laughs> so shall we jump into our chapters? Yeah, let's do that. So chapter 136 is an interlude. Quoth wants to take a short break, and then he sends Bast off to attend Shep's funeral in his stead. Uh, when Bast is gone, two soldiers pop into the inn, and they attempt to rob Quoth. They beat the living hell out of him. Bast returns and performs some weird fey dentistry. That part made me just this whole chapter just this chapter tears my sucked. heart out. So so very sad. Yeah, I mean it doesn't suck from a writing standpoint. There's I have so many questions about this chapter and there aren't really answers to them from what I can tell. So let's break it down from the beginning because I picked up a few things that I hadn't in past read throughs. Well hit me with it. Give it to so, me, sister. We start off with Coat uh, taking a break from the story and saying, "Um, you know, let's step back. I'm going to make dinner. I need to do a few things." And he sh- kind of shoes Bast away, convinces him to go and have to the wake that they're having in the town for Shep. And Bast doesn't want to leave, but he's sort of both is able to say, "Hey, you know, there's going to be some hot chicks there. Why don't you go? You know." have some fun he shoes him out the door and then he explains to chronicler that he was getting bass was getting too wrapped up in the story and he said he can't feel a thing halfway and it just highlighted for me the differences that's that have been emphasized all throughout the novel between the fey and humans and i think it kind of when you piece them all together it really helps you understand some things that we've been debating yeah i I think you're right. Um, you know, the idea that we debated in the past during a lot of the Florian chapters about whether or not the Fae are, are they good? Are they evil? Are they neutral? Are they somewhere in between? But the sense I'm getting from that statement is that the Fae are none of those things. The Fae simply feel their emotions and don't really kind of have a self-editor. 
They just kind of what their emotion is, is what comes out. Uh, you know, so like you and I throughout the course of a day, you know, we're going to have times where we feel very generous and inspired and kind. And we're also going to have some nasty thoughts that run through our heads as well. And if we didn't sort of temper that, we would be fey. Right. Or to put it in Rothfussian terms. Ooh, give it to me. The fey are ruled by the sleeping mind. And mm, okay. humans are more controlled by their waking mind. Yeah. And we see that in their magic systems. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you have a, a diagram over there? <laughs> what, this Venn diagram that I made? Are you looking at a diagram? I am. I'm not going to read the diagram, okay? I'm not going to read it line by line. I just want to know what's in the middle of the Venn diagram. So on one side, I have the, you know, well, I was more interested in, this, so this comment, he can't feel a thing halfway. And I thought, are the Fae all of them as a race, fundamentally different in their cognitive functioning, their emotional processing systems, because that would explain a lot. It would just explain a lot of the different things that we have debated about the Fae on and off throughout the novel. So I thought, you know, what have we learned about them so far? And the main differences seem to be, okay, the Fae obviously have really poor executive functioning because it's been... It's been mentioned that they they don't make the best choices, okay? Yeah, you're right. And they don't they have a less sophisticated ability to regulate their emotions. So we have seen characters like Florian who is ruled by her emotions. She acts very much on instinct. Um she doesn't seem concerned with society of any kind. Yeah. And now we do know that there are some groups of the Fae like the Sith who are concerned about the welfare of the world, but you get the impression that that is a rarity. So, you know, the one of the main differences I see is that Faye don't have any of that sort of communal focus. Hmm. You know, like in our human we world... We don't shit in the well. We don't shit in the well, exactly. You know, we have some cultures are more individualistic, some are more collectivist. You know, the Fae are all about themselves. They're a selfish race. And it just, you know, it helps you to understand things like, okay, so we've debated whether the cafe was really as dangerous as Bast claims because Florian didn't seem to have a problem. You know, as long as Quoth is okay, she's fine sending him out into the world knowing he's mm. a plague ship. Okay, but if you accept the premise that the Fae are fundamentally different in their ability to care about what happens to the world, what happens to other people and society outside of their own circle, then that kind of blows that theory out of the water because then Florian really wouldn't care. Yeah. You know, if she fundamentally did not have the, the cognitive ability to even ha worry about that. Just not the way her brain works. Right. And it's just been mentioned many times that, you know, how different the Fae are in there. And it all seems to come down to their emotional processing, their executive functioning. And the way they use magic is tied into that because they mm -hmm. use magic instinctually in ways that humans don't understand. And there, there are some humans who are namers and can use that kind of magic. For the most part, it's very regulated. It's very orderly. And they have well, a logical system. Well, also, it seems like the Fae and Realm were created by the most powerful shapers 
who would have had the best control over their sleeping mind. Exactly. And that's what it was sort of made as an expression maybe of the sleeping mind. Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting. And I think it has a lot of implications for a lot of the things we've discussed. Yeah. I just wrote down BAST DSM code uh, 342.0.0.2. What code is that for? I don't know. I'm just You just around. made that up? <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> Let's not diagnose BAST. I think he's, I think he's doing really well for where he's at. <laughs> Anyway, okay. so Coat sends Bast off because he can't feel a thing halfway. And I get the impression that Bast is very human for a fae. Mm. He's been able to fit into this town. He seems to have empathy, which a lot of the fae seem to lack. He seems to have at least a very strong emotional attachment to Quoth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the things that I had in common, if you wanted to know it was in the middle of the Venn diagram, is that humans and Faye both have relationships. Yeah. And they both have emotions. Yeah. It's just a matter of how strongly are they ruled by... They both by... have two eyes. Exactly. They both have penises. They do. Some, they both have vaginas. Some, maybe. We don't know. We're not judging. I'm not here to judge. <laughs> so we also note in this very first section... They can use whatever pronouns they want to. Yes, they can. We also note in this, you know what, if you're an amorphous manifestation of darkness, we don't judge you. No, that's, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, who are we to say? So we also note that the sword on the wall of the inn is not... Not Kesura. Not Kesura. Not the poet killer. It's not the poet killer. Right. And well, so... I, I feel like I always knew that. You kind of wondered it wasn't clear... No, I really, I, you know, he starts talking about this sword, this special sword, this special sword, and you don't know if maybe he's renamed it. No, I just always picture them as being two separate things. So that I didn't take that as being a particular revelation. I don't know. I may have made that assumption falsely, or rather with lack of evidence, and just kind of came to that conclusion. And then by coincidence, that's what it was. Um, but I had always kind of assumed that. Right. I, th I think most people or a lot of people reading the book kind of have this assumption that you get one special sword and that was not quote, you know, not quote rock star, ninja, warrior, sex god. Right. He's got to have two swords. Wizard, sex god, whatever. You know, <laughs> it's gonna, of course, he's going to have two swords. The other thing I picked up on in this little intro section is that so quote sends Bast away. He comes back, he's going around, he's starting to fix dinner, and it mentions that he seems different at this point. Yeah. He doesn't seem like the same tired old innkeeper. He's grinning, he's kind of got like a boyish air about him. He's humming. He's humming, and that was very significant to me because it yeah. talks about him not singing, music not being around. So the fact that yeah, he is starting to down. hum. Yeah, um, is significant. Well, I think he got, I think uh, Quoth got a little too big for his, or Coat got a little too big for his Quoth britches. And that's kind of what we find out. So he is, he's seeming different. I noticed he called the storm a wagon tipper. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. A rue sort of mm -hmm. uh, expression, idiom. Right. And then... Then these two soldiers walk in. You know, the first thing they say is, well, you know, we'd really love to to buy some wine, but um, kind of having a problem here. You see, we got the king's coin and, you know, we don't have a way of breaking it, which if you ever spend any time in a rough neighborhood, that's like 
that's like the oldest trick in the book. Like, hey man, you got you got a way to break a twenty. You got change for a twenty. If you say yes, you're getting that twenty taken away. <laughs> like, you know, like this. Just, I've never heard that before. Yeah, to me, this seemed like something that Quoth and Chronicler, especially given what our first introduction to Chronicler is, would have known that this was not a thing to do. And and Quoth is just like, oh, yeah, I got you, boys, no problem. And he just willingly walked into that. That's an interesting comment. I had not picked up on that. I've never, I guess I haven't spent enough time in rough neighborhoods that I would have picked up on that. Yeah, it, it's just something that I feel like would have occurred, occurred to Quoth definitely would have occurred to Chronicler. Not that Chronicler necessarily would have had time to intervene because Quoth is just like, oh yeah, I gotcha. You know, he doesn't think twice of it. And then obviously Quoth gets his ass kicked when he, you know, displays the money. Even though he's the first the first one to 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 land a blow. But he sends Bast away. Then these guys walk in. And then he falls for a pretty old trick for jumping people and rolling people. And, you know, you have to wonder, did he somehow know this was going to happen? I mean, I I tend to think no, because I don't think we've seen anything that would lead us to believe that he's psychic in, in any particular way. But it's just weird the way all all those facts kind of come together. But I definitely take it that he was feeling very quoth and I feel like he was like, if I tell them I have change there, there's a serious likelihood that these guys are going to try to take it from me. And you know what? I'm feeling pretty quothy. So let's roll the dice and see what happens. And he does a good job of kicking the shit out of the first soldier. But by the time he makes it around to the second soldier, he just doesn't quite have it. And there's a part of you that thinks, okay, well, or it crossed my mind. Is this the way that we find out that Quoth's been lying this whole time? And he was, he never really studied with the ADEM, but I don't really think that's what it is. And he clearly attempts to do, what is it, breaking lion or whatever, breaking wind or whatever. It was so sad. It doesn't work. And he gets the ever-loving shit kicked out of him. Uh, it's kind of a wonder he didn't die the way they beat the hell out of him so bad. But I don't really think that he never spent time with the ADM. I don't think that's true. I just think this is a way of showing us that even though he's kind of coming around and getting a little bit more quothy, he's still quite a long way off. And a couple of days of hanging out with Chronicler aren't going to shake off this malaise that he's experiencing. I think you're right. Well, let's break down the fight a little bit more because there were a couple of really significant bits of dialogue in there, I felt. Go right ahead. So the soldiers come in and they say, let's do this in a civilized manner. Just give us your purse and we'll leave. And, you know, you won't have, nobody has to get hurt here. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's be civilized about it. And as Quoth walks around the bar, he says... Absolutely. I'm certainly no barbarian. Because mm-hmm. he's not a barbarian. Yeah, right. He's an ADEM fighter, you yeah. know? So right there, you're like, yes. He's, he's like, gonna- I just watched Rocky. 
<laughs> like he's not a barbarian, you know, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna start kicking some butt and then he gets a couple of good hits in, mm-hmm. but the second he gets knocked a little, it's like he loses it. Yeah. It's like he start at that point, whatever kind of instinctual thing um was starting to kick in. Mm he loses it and that that it's at that point that he tries to make break lion several times and ends up just getting thrown to the floor and at that point the soldier says to him a pasty little innkeep against two of the king's own who do you think you are and he starts laughing and then when they leave he says i forgot who i was there for a minute yeah. So we really start to see so we've in the flashback we've been kind of gotten the story of all these skills that Quoth has and now we're being shown that he doesn't have those anymore either. Yeah, well, which when you think about mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah, he may have studied with the Adam, but anyone who is I don't care how great of a fighter you were, you know, he studied with them for 2 months and then you go years 5 ago. years without yeah, yeah. practicing. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're not going to be the same. Well, and if you think about it, at the end of The Name of the Wind, we saw him attempt to practice sympathy and not be able to do it. Right. And here at the end of The Wise Man's Fear, where we've spent a lot of time learning about his fighting prowess, we see that he can't do it. Right. So something is fundamentally broken and changed in him, and that extends to his fighting prowess as well. At some point, the one of the soldiers picks up a bottle of wine and cracks it over Quoth's head. Instead yeah. of shattering, it just kind of, it's solid. Yeah. And he just, he looks at it curiously. And then he ends up taking that bottle with him. So I don't know if hmm. that was in there for. Well, also there's a one of the bottles that shatters is a sapphire bottle, which I wish I had more time. I would have gone back to look at that. I feel like that wasn't pointed out for no reason, but I just didn't have time to go back and try and read the early parts where he talks about the different bottles. It may have been one of the liquors that he's you know used in the past, but I just didn't have time to go back and look at it. The reality is, is that a lot, of, like a lot of things you see on TV and reading books, when you hit somebody over the head with a bottle, it usually doesn't break. Really, you know so many things about robbing people and hitting them with bottles. I, I don't listen. We've already explained <laughs> that we're on the run. We don't need to get in the details. <laughs> so, um, at the end of the chapter, poor, you know, poor coat's laying there bleeding, and Bast comes in. And this is just such a tender scene and such a, for me, it was very, it's very moving um, because he comes in and he's, of course, he's distraught that mm-hmm. his Rashi got his butt kicked. But, and um, But Rashi, two thugs? Right. And he addresses, because this, I'm sure this occurred to many readers as well, he says, you just fought off four Scrail and killed them. Like, you, that was, and you can't beat up these two guys and, and. Quoth explains that, you know what, I was ready for the scrail. I did not escape unscathed. I, like, was fighting on my terms, and so who knows. But we also kind of see how Quoth still can't let people love him. He can't accept that anyone cares about him, and we'll get into this a this little bit. This is a deeply broke motherfucker. Right. You know, a little bit later when he's in the flashback, he's talking, we, we, we're going to talk about how he didn't write to any of his friends after being gone for three quarters of a year. But he still just can't accept that people care about him. So when Bast, so Quoth has a, a loose tooth of one of his many injuries. He says, I think I'm going to lose this tooth. 
And Bass is like, no, you're not. And he pulls this like fey kind of voodoo healing where he, they both swish. I thought it was a really cool scene. I thought it was too, yeah. They both swish with a mouthful of milk and Bast is able to take that injury upon himself. Yeah. And then he smiles and his teeth are bloody. I love the ending of it. Uh, yeah. It's, and like, then he sits down and says, <laughs> entertain me. Entertain me. Um, with his bloody teeth. So, it's yes. It's a hell of a scene to end to end I, that chapter on. I agree. I, I really like that end. Also, the little fight over the subjunctive mood between him <laughs> and Chronicler just made me, it's made me LOL a little bit. Yeah, Chronicler, who was so willing to step up in the zombie fight and snatch the sword from the two dudes, he just sat on his hands when those two soldiers came in. Well, it didn't go so well in the zombie fight, so. No, it didn't. You know, it didn't. Well, and I don't. I, I don't want to be critical of, of Chronicler. I don't know that there's a whole lot he really could have done. By the time he would have realized what was going on and stepped up and gotten over there, Quoth would have already, you know, been hit a couple times by that first soldier. So, so it's hard to it's hard to really blame him. But it's a, it was a weird chapter for sure. Well written, like like they all are. Left me with a lot more questions than answers. Well, that's interesting because the next chapter, chapter 137, is called... What's it called? What's it called? It's called Questions. What? Get the (laughs) hell out of here. I didn't know that. So, chapter 137, and just like that, we're back in Severin. And when the mayor calls, you best come running, we find out that Quoth is better at talk, and then the mayor agrees that Quoth should investigate the Amir. What? That's right. (laughs) <laughs> where things are going the right direction. See, he came back from Severin. Nothing bad happened to him. He didn't end up in a gibbet. Just like you said. Just like I said. <laughs> I knew it all along. So the first thing I noticed is that Quilth has to book it back to Severin. And he, he goes through a pretty uncomfortable bit of traveling because he's very concerned that the news of his murder of this traveling troop is going to precede him. And even though, you know, the townspeople think it was a good thing and he thinks it was the right thing to do, he still killed nine people and there are still consequences for There's that. Still laws. Yeah. So he wants to beat that news back to Severin so that he can present it to the mayor in a way that might be seem more favorable to him and he's afraid of passing through a town and having a constable decide he's going to need to detain him so he's booking it and he considers stopping at Denna's inn first and would have if he wasn't so stinky and again we just see that irrational like yeah yeah. (laughs) like hadn't thought yeah hadn't really thought about that but I mean I I might get thrown in jail Uh, and I'm smelly, so I'm not going to go look for her right uh, now. Yeah, I guess since I'm stinky. So he gets back and he meets up with Stapes and finds out that the mayor was got married and that Cauticus was found and killed. Yep. And then Alvaron calls for him, but he's stinky. He must have been really stinky. He must have been able, like, way worse than your feet are right now. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so he says, I'm going to take a bath Listen, first. this podcast is brought to you by Smell-O-Vision. <laughs> Just reach down and scratch the speaker grill <laughs> in your car while you're driving, and you too can smell my stinky feet. Listen, just imagine what old Fritos smell like. 
you're right there, man. Right in the room with us. So no, the, so I don't get, I don't get the way Quoth is sometimes when he gets around the mayor. Mm-hmm. It's interesting where you know he's a chameleon and he can kind of fit into all these different circumstances. And you know, if Quoth was somewhere else and somebody said, "Hey, I want to see you," and Quoth was stinky from the road, he would probably go. He wouldn't care. But now that he's here to, in the mayor's. He wants to observe all this propriety, but not in a way that is necessarily intelligent. Like the mayor's calling. He knows you just came off the road. He said he wants to see you right away. Just fucking show up stinky. He knows you just came off the road. What's the big fucking deal? And it's so interesting to see both kind of have to jump from the ADEM culture, which he worked very hard to. Yeah accommodate himself to and now he's kind of jumping back into navigating this entirely different society and it's just interesting to see him struggle a little bit with that kind of thing and maybe it's maybe that's part of it that you know in adam culture you it's not cool to be running around like a stinky ass barbarian exactly you know we get the adam were very much about the bathing every day Mm -hmm. who knows if he had shown up disgusting would the mayor have taken offense? Who knows? You just don't know. We we don't know. I, I find it weird, but again, it's one of those things that it's not weird enough to really. I mean, make I a definitely the first it. time I read this was like, just go, you idiot. Yeah. But at the same time, it's no guarantee, right? Exactly. And again, I think it's a good point about him having having just spent all of these months with the Adam who were very into their bathing and you you wouldn't walk around smelling bad so yeah who knows so but either way he ends up getting snubbed for three days because he doesn't go right to alvaron yeah. he's got to wait three days but he does get with brayden and get some some a couple of things i noted and one is that we so we're trying to piece together what has happened what happens in the outside world that has led up to whatever political or Mm-hmm. thing is going to happen to cause this war. So he mentions that the prince regent of Ventus is was killed in a duel. And there's some like political, but it's just kind of an offhanded comment, but I just kind of stuck a pin in it. Yeah, it crossed my mind too, because it's been spelled out a few times, kind of what the pecking order is in terms of who's, you know, more in charge, right? And so we know the Jackus is, you know, st- started out like 16th in line and then they were 13th and now you take this guy out of the equation and who knows whose family lines connected to who that you know who's going to end up taking that could bump them way up could bump the mayor way up could bump the lacklaces up but again i think it's i think it's just laying seeds like you said for it seems like whatever's going to happen that leads to the current political situation the goings on in Vint are going to be kind of where it all spins. That's definitely what it seems like as yeah. well. So I think it's that probably wasn't a totally throwaway comment there. No. And I just think it's interesting watching Braden come back in now with this suspicion that he's Dennis patron and that he is there's some that he's doing something with both. Yeah. Um, and that he compliments his talk. You know. Yeah, so what we find out is that the key to playing a good game of talk is to go out and lose your virginity. Like, <laughs> and I mean, I can't tell you how after I lost my virginity, 
my risk skills went off the charts, man. <laughs> I would take Asia and hold it the whole game. <laughs> you just, I mean, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. So it's just interesting to me also just to kind of see signs that Braden is kind of playing with him a little bit. Yeah, and I, it's it's always difficult to separate out what you as the reader know and suspect and have been given clues about and what the characters know and suspected and have been given clues about. So it's difficult sometimes to separate that out. It's the classic, you know, horror movie thing when you're like, no, but the bad guy's right there. Why are you doing this, you idiots, right? But they, but the characters don't know that. So when I'm looking at Quoth and his interactions with Brayden, I'm like, don't you recognize that this guy is Master Ash, or if not Master Ash, somebody way plugged in, most likely to the Chandra. Don't you get that? Like, can't you, haven't you seen enough evidence to lead you to believe that this guy is not a guy to be trusted? I mean, he he saw the rumors about him doing all this magical stuff in the in the north. His estates are not far from the Eld, not far from where the Chandrian were, you know, came about. It's just strange to me that, like, Quoth, who can recognize so many things and can see so many people when they're up to no good, can read all these people so well, could read Meloan Lackless so well, can't figure out that this guy is a bad guy, like... It's strange. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But I definitely think I, I look closely at what information does Brayden feed him because it seems like everything is going to be deliberate. And he seems to me like he's probably crafting some sort of purpose for Quoth. Yeah. So he's I just find that He's going to set him out like a plague ship. He is sending him out like a plague ship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, after this meeting, Quoth finally gets to meet with Alvaron, and they talk about the question. Alvaron says that he he's always thought that everyone has a question who rests at, that rests at the center of who they are. And this leads Quoth to bring up his one of his questions, which is where are the Amir? And he finds out that Alvaron at one time had the same obsession with the Amir and that he went and spent a lot of time researching them and trying to find out about them. And he discovered the same thing that Quoth did, that not just at the university, but other libraries and places, all mention of the Amir was wiped out. Yeah. And when Quoth says, you know, if with your patronage, I could go and I could research and I could get you answers, the mayor doesn't laugh at him like anybody else would. To his credit, he is open-minded. He's excited about the He's possibility. He's excited about it. Well, and I wrote down what he said because I thought, this is what I thought. I thought, ding, 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 foreshadowing bell. He says, it is disturbing that there might be a secret thing this important. He looked around the garden at the walls of his estate and in my own lands. And I thought, in your lands... Inside your own damn wall, sucker. It's in your bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) It's sleeping next to you, bitch. (laughs) Inside your own lands. (laughs) It's true. So what did you think about that turn of events where the mayor just happens to 
also have been interested in the Amir at one point. There were two things I thought about it. The first being that I was excited that finally somebody didn't treat him like like he's crazy. It, it was encouraging and, and refreshing to have somebody take him seriously and be open-minded enough to hear what he has to say and to be interested in it and to agree with us. You know, I think we agree with Quoth and we agree with the mayor. So we're all on the same party, you know, let's, we're all going on the same boat, going the same direction. The other thing I thought was another piece of confirmation that the Cathay is right. Yes. Um, they don't lie. Cause they don't lie. Mm-mm. So I, there's one more thing. So there's something that I've, speculated about in this chapter. Mm. So I'm going to read like this part to you and see if you come up with the same thing. Mm, okay. Okay. So it's right when uh, they, so both and the mayor are starting to talk about the Amir and the mayor is telling Quoth the conclusions that he came to, which are similar to Quoth's that uh, he says, I, I, I thought there e- might even be Amir in the world after all this while acting in secret for the greater good. I could feel the excitement bubbling in my chest. What did you discover? I asked eagerly. Discover? Alvaron looked surprised. Nothing. My father died that year, and I became the mayor. I dismissed it as a boyish fantasy. Oh, Oh, snap. snap. Right? They were watching him and decided to put him in power. So for the greater good, the Amir killed his father. That's what I think. That's a good theory. Mm-hmm. That's a good theory. That just coincidentally, right as this person who was powerful enough to maybe scrape something up, was beginning to seek in earnest, something just happens to happen in his life. Wow. That distracted him from that search. Well, it's funny because you know what I thought of that kind of comes at that from a very different angle in this chapter that we learn the fate of Cauticus, we do not learn whether the mayor learned any information from Cauticus. But when I was reading through this chapter, I thought, I think I, I know who sent Cauticus. And I think it's Brayden. And I think Brayden is an agent of the Chandrian. Mm. And so if the Amir sent agents to kill the mayor's father to put the mayor, or I guess they were both the mayor, but to put uh, him in charge, then the Chandrian sent an agent to poison the mayor to wreak havoc and chaos and make him ineffectual. That somehow they're warring over him. Again, things spinning around Ventus. I think that's a very good observation. And I think definitely we sort of see if if this speculation is true, the scope of their influence is. I mean, this is some for people who Illuminati shit, right? Don't here, even exist, right? You know, so it, it's 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 I mean, staggering. You know, they're like Beyonce level influential. <laughs> Beyonce and Jay Z level That's for sure, right? right. <laughs> you know, they're Illuminati. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so chapter 138 is called Notes. I didn't take very many on this chapter, but it (laughs) refers to uh, both the note that 
Quoth finds in Denna's room that he was excited to find. And then he realizes that it's the note that he sent to her so that obviously she never got it. And then the note that he also sent to the mayor describing his adventure with the with the bandit hunting that the mayor did not believe and took quite some convincing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so that's a pretty good description of the chapter. So I don't think we need to go any further as far as that goes. Uh, You know, like you said, he goes out, he looks for Denna. There's nothing really there. But then he gets to have his meeting with the mayor. And this is sort of the meeting before the meeting. So he's having a meeting with him because in the last chapter, they said they were going to give a question for a question. So Quoth gave his question about the Amir, and the mayor said, come to my room and I'll give you my question. In the next chapter, Melowan Lockla shows up, and that's when we get into that. So this is this is those, these are those minutes, really, actually, it's almost an hour prior to that when they're just kind of chit-chatting. And what I noticed was that in this conversation, the mayor does not believe Quoth about the fact that the five D and D, you know, members of the D and D party killed 27 bandits in a reinforced location, like experienced mercenaries. He's like, yeah, I don't buy it. And I didn't catch this the first read through, but the second read through I caught where quote says we argued for the better part of an hour before he finally relented before quote finally says, if I was going to lie to you, I would have make up, I would have made up a more plausible lie. Um, I think you may have misread that part. I'm turning to the page right now. He says, had I known you would require proof, I would have let Dayton bring you a sack full of thumbs. It took a full hour of arguing to drive the notion out of his head. Oh, that's to drive the notion out of Dayton's head. Right. Okay. But then the mayor says, perhaps you should have let him. I know, right? It's rather the ghoulish. Man, he, well, he has a weird thing with thumbs, too. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> oh, the God. man does not like thumbs. He's like the tooth fairy, but the thumb there. Only the parents are going to get that one. <laughs> All right, so either way. So, okay, so that... But again, it's interesting to see him flounder so much after spending all this time with the ADEM and navigating how to talk to them in that society. Then he comes back and he's right in the lion's den, not just talking to normal Eterans or vent, you know, vintage people. He's with this eccentric sort of almost, almost megalomaniac, like almost king type person he's well, trying to navigate that those situations yeah and the mayor who is used to having nobody really question him and he can say whatever the he wants like he's almost fey like and then he doesn't have to think about the shit that comes out of his mouth right so you know if you and i might think somebody's lying or we're unsure Maybe we say something, maybe we don't, but the mayor's going to challenge your ass like there's no, there's no way around it, you know, but, uh, but eventually what I found was interesting is that he gave him an awful lot of pushback about killing the 27 people. And then he says, and your guy who got shot with an arrow and then walked into a tent and disappeared and quote is like, I tell you true. And he's like, I believe you. Like he, he just, 
he wants to argue about the 27 people, but when he tells him about the Chandrian who stepped into a tent and then disappeared, he's like, no, I buy it. Well, I think it was more just either it's all some sort of elaborate joke in poor taste or it was all true. Yeah, yeah. Or at least the Quoth believed it was all true. Or at least Quoth believes it's all true. And so when Quoth doesn't even back down on that part, he's like, okay, I believe you. Kind of creepy. Yeah. Not um, what I wanted to hear. I feel like the mayor knows more than he's letting on about this situation, especially because he said, before even sending Quoth out there, I suspect there may be some magic involved. And then he hears about a man walking into a tent and disappearing into thin air, and he is willing to believe it. Well, I think there had been rumors that there were that there was magic involved in the the bandits. That's what he said. What I'm saying is Illuminati. <laughs> Beyonce. Jay-Z did it. (laughs) Jay-Z. Listen, if you play Lemonade backwards, (laughs) it says Mayor Alvaron knows shit about the Chandrian. We're on to you, Queen Bay. (laughs) Okay, so chapter 139 is called Lockless, and we get to see... The lockless box. Yeah, so I had, my description of this chapter is, Meloan shows Quoth her husband's rocks. Oh, I thought you were going to say, Meloan shows Quoth her box. No, that's just <laughs> crass. You're going to be crude there. Come on now. I was braced for it. I am nothing if not a gentleman. <laughs> As 27 prior episodes of this podcast have shown. Plus a few spinoffs. <laughs> so Quoth gets to see her box. Oh, but you'll say I'm it. not a gentleman. <laughs> you'll say it. <laughs> it's very it's smooth. It's dark and reddish. <laughs> there's, and there's something rattling around inside. <laughs> it's something precious. Approximately 3,000 years old. <laughs> It's both precious and dangerous, <laughs> but powerful in the wrong hands. It smells maddeningly familiar. Ah, like, like lemons. <laughs> ah, I hope this is funny to someone else. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> Are we going to be okay? <laughs> oh, wow. Whew. <clears throat> so. <laughs> she wears a key around her neck. <laughs> it fits a round hole. <laughs> and Quill is like, let me see that thing. <laughs> The mayor's like, for goodness sake, she's my wife. I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right here in the room with you. Oh, God. I'm bringing you a gift, and you're taking all this time to unwrap it. 
<laughs> so it is exciting to get to see like see this artifact and we're we're building knowledge slowly towards the doors of stone my speculation about what's in the box is um that it's the key to the doors of stone damn it <laughs> i'm sorry were you gonna say that first yes but that's okay <laughs> but i felt like i was i had a moment when i was going through this and i was taking my notes and i was like <gasps> It's the key. Uh-huh. It's the key to the doors of stone. Yeah. And yeah. Then I was like, you mad bastard genius, you. Yeah. <laughs> you figured it out. <laughs> you son of a bitch. You know, and then I had a picture of me standing there with a pith helmet on and a holster with some ivory handled pistol on my side, standing in front of a giant flag. I should have let you have that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm you're so- standing there. I've been so excited. Holding your friend's head that used to be a human is now a pile of goo. You'll know what to do. I'm I'm sorry. I got I got lost in the moment. <laughs> I just ahead. never know when Walter Sobchak's going to come back. No, that was General Patton. Oh. It sounded very Walter Sobchak-ish. Well, I only have one voice. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they all kind of sound, you know, like that. I tell you, I would I would give my left arm for the ability to do impressions. He really would. I swear to God, I really would. He tries so hard. I do. If only I could. If only I could do impressions, I would. My life would be complete. I mean, four beautiful children and all that. But listen, if I could do impressions, uh, so we are we ta- so off track. I were no we talking idea. about a book? Like, <laughs> I feel like somewhere in here. There was a conversation about a book. All right. So so we were talking about the scene where uh, Quoth is finally getting to see the Lackless family box, which has been talked about since, since the book beginning. one, since the beginning. And uh, we know that it's tied to Quoth some way. Um, I thought it was interesting that, all humor aside, that he said it smelled maddeningly familiar. And <laughs> that... <laughs> Like, like from the very beginning of my to, life. Wait, what was that stuff we used to eat all the time? Back, back in college. Day? What was it? What was it? Lemons. Lemons. <laughs> Ate a lot of goddamn lemons in college. But, okay. It smelled of mother's musk. So, so again, just like Melowan seemed very familiar, the box smelled familiar. So I just wonder if his mother had, I don't know, some kind of... She laid him in a crib with Artifact a back with the same. I don't know with a localist. But so right, box. it 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 smelled familiar, and it's covered in a, a flowing pattern that both noticed, but that Meloan and her husband had never noticed. No. And at this point, we also find out that nothing has ever been written down about the lockless box. Yeah, that was interesting to me that you know that they would not allow anything to be written down mm-hmm. about the lockless box. Who else likes to scrub libraries for information and destroy it? F and Amir. The goddamn Amir. Beyonce. Fucking. Roll on up in here in your white Lamborghini. <laughs> burning books and shit. <laughs> so anyway, the box is covered in um, what, what Quoth notices feels like it might be Yilish story knots. Could be. So that's very... 
significant in that we've seen Yilish story knots get mentioned several times. We've speculated that Denna is learning um, some kind of magic or knack that has to do with braids or knots. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's all over the lackless box is very interesting. And I think that people who we've mentioned it briefly that have a theory that Denna is actually the lackless heir. That's part of their reasoning is that she seems to be so interested in story knots and braids. Um, well, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't really hold with that theory, but I, I don't either, except we don't really know a whole lot about, you know, what the lackless tree family tree looks like. I feel like if Denna and Meloan Lackless looked anything alike, Quoth probably would have noted that. You know, and it just seems a little bit too George R.R. R. Martin for Quoth to end up falling in love with somebody who ends up being his cousin. No, I think people speculate that Denna is the heir and not Quoth. Oh, well, that's just wrong. I'm sorry, that's just factually incorrect. I, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just putting what the, some of the theories that are out there. Um, so anyway, either way, we know that the Yillish story knots are going to be significant. Um, they're on the box. He can't tell what they are, and he doesn't know how to read them anyway. Uh, Meloan will not allow the box to be talked about. She said she can count on both hands the number of people who have s- seen it. <laughs> Don't nobody talk about my box. <laughs> Y'all count, ain't seen my box. I can count on two hands the number of people who've seen it. Oh, that's what they all say. <laughs> but oh I was there when God. you were in college. <laughs> you may not remember, Mellow Ann. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Okay, so let's talk about the fight that Kvothe ends up getting into. Um, I I found it significant that in his need to fix this, like things could have gone very differently if he had been like, okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow, giving it one more day. So what happens is if, if, for people who haven't read it recently, Meloan is ready to leave. She's like, okay, remember we have that thing we have to go to, honey? And the mayor is like, oh yeah, sure. Kvothe, I'll talk to you tomorrow about the Amir. It's like Jon Snow when I when I next time I see you, I'll tell you all about your mother. You know, yeah, right. it's like next time I see you, tomorrow, we'll talk about the, this this thing with the Amir. And Quill's like, no, 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 no. I got something I got to tell you about first. Really, really important. important. Really important. You should probably you send know? your wife ahead. You should probably like send your and you know so you know he goes ahead and he he's got to compulsively tell this story about him killing the troopers and he finds out that Malawan really really hates the Edamaru. Yeah. Really wants them all dead. Well, and I feel like he already he already knew this. Uh, he knew a little bit about that, but it's interesting to see and I think this is a just an important part of his character development and that this whole arc is about him owning his Edamaru background. You know, he's fully owning it and taking pride in it. And being open about it. Not that he hasn't been open he's, in the past, but he's also been willing to hide it if it was expedient. And at yeah. this point, he's willing to say, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if this ruins my prospects or my chances. I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am anymore. Well I, well, I agree with you. I also feel like if 
she hadn't have driven him to the point of anger, he would have been more than happy to just move on through it. See, I disagree. I think his experience with the false troopers and bringing the girls back to Levenshire, I think that was a that was a formative moment for him. Hmm. And I think at that point was when he kind of decided that he I'm not was, doing this anymore. He was not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And so that he then gets to that come back be. and have this moment with Meloan where he's like, you know what? I don't care if I'm throwing my future away. You know, he all he could have done was said, oh, you're welcome. See you tomorrow. With I'll get my big writ of patronage and get to do all this stuff I want to do. But he makes a stand right there and he stands up for his people. And I don't think that's a coincidence in the story. I think that's meant to be part of his character development. Hmm. Well, good. I like it. That's just my thinkings. I like it. So he owns it. So chapter 140? Chapter 140 is called Just Rewards. He got him Just Rewards. So Quoth is very politely asked to leave Severin. He's given free tuition. He's given a pardon for the people that he killed. And a writ that allows him to travel and play freely anywhere in the mayor's lands. And also a very grave insult attached to a wooden ring. And then he leaves for the university. Right. So the the first thing that kind of caught my eye was the word escrescence. <laughs> Is that even a word? Oh, yes. It's a word. <laughs> oh, yes. feel like I, I, I didn't feel like I needed to look it up. No, I, I think it's pretty... <laughs> It's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Pretty clear what he kind of word. So you know, it's interesting to see the mayor's reaction here, and that he's not like get out forever. You know, he yeah. still wants to acknowledge what Quoth did for him. Yeah, at the same like, time, yeah, he handled it pretty well. Yeah, at the same time, he's just married this woman. He's obviously madly in love with her. You know, she comes from a strong politically politically strong family. Like he's not gonna. He's not going to rock that boat. And Braden points out that if he had, Quoth would have ended up being crushed like a peppercorn. You know, they would have been a constant source of contention in their marriage and it wouldn't have been good for him either. So really Quoth made out the best that he could, you know, and he certainly was, was hoping, hoping for more considering everything he did for the mayor, but he makes out with uh, basically a blank check to pay his tuition and a snazzy wood ring that he ends up keeping. <laughs> so the wooden ring that he receives from Meloan is basically the worst ring that you can give in this society. And in fact, people don't even give it. Because it's so insulting. Because it's so insulting. It basically means I don't even consider you a human being. You're trash. And that's the way she thinks of the rue. It is. And so he puts it on his finger and gets his stuff together. And I love how he sneaks out of his room. So the mayor asks him to leave at his earliest convenience. So he takes him in and he says goodbye to some people, nicks a few things. He sneaks out through the window and locks the window behind him with a piece of wire. So people can just wonder, you know, because at this point, the mayor has posted a guard at his door and Mm -hmm. they're supposed to escort him out in the morning. And he's like, I'm not leaving that way. So he goes out, he wanders around, he looks for Denna. And as he leaves, he um, does a couple of things that are entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. He's sells sells the books sells the clothes sells all the secrets that he'd been collecting about the people that's pretty awesome which is pretty funny and then he goes to a brothel and Mm -hmm. he plays and and drinks with the ladies there at the brothel on what was a slow night 
He says he asks for a favor, and they all laugh. And then he dumps all the rings on the uh, on the counter and, and leaves. What was the favor? That they would wear the rings. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. Right, or or who knows? Maybe they would pass them on or sell them, or who knows? Either way, he's just... Do any just... of you have a wooden box? <laughs> I just want to see for myself. <laughs> so let's talk about the rings for a second, because... Early in this book, we hear another poem about Quoth, one of the, the Quoth legends, and it talks about his 10 rings that he has. And I think we see two of them mentioned here. So I'm just going to kind of go through what the 10 rings are. Um, on, the, on his first hand, he has rings of stone, iron, amber, wood, and bone. There were rings unseen on his second hand. One was blood in a flowing band. One was air all whisper thin. The ring of ice had a flaw within. Full faintly shone the ring of flame and the final ring was without a name. Those so, are the names that he knows. Good job. You you got that one in. I was about to say that. <laughs> I'm glad you said it though. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Because that just occurred to me and that's I'm really, really impressed that you picked that up because that really just occurred to me. On this time I just want to know what the one that nobody knows is like. Yeah. He's so going to learn seen... something like it's like dark matter or something crazy like that. That'd be so badass. Patrick Rothfuss. Come on listening. now. Just a little dark matter. Let Quoth learn the name of dark matter. That'd be so cool. That'd be badass. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, P. Roth. <laughs> Don't fuck with me. That'd be so cool. <laughs> but so I think this is probably his ring of wood. And the ring of bone is the one that Stapes yeah. has given him Makes as a sense. memento. Yeah. So we've, we've seen him collect those. And and I do think that, you know, like Elodin explained to him, when a uh, when a namer gains mastery of a name, he makes himself a ring out of that substance. And we saw Fella uh, make a ring out of stone when she gained mastery the over the stone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we right now we see him, obviously, he's probably going to have an, a win- air, ice, flame, blood i don't know but we're just getting some clues here so i think it's interesting to tie that back to the poem at the beginning of the book yeah absolutely there were two things that i kind of wrote down and i wanted to note the first and this is kind of a minor thing but it just kind of occurred to me that if the mayor had really wanted to do research on the amir and he didn't really want it to be tied back to him and he wanted it to be kind of hush hush then having quoth who so publicly was scorned from his estate and his family would have really been the ideal candidate to do it. Now that's that's not what happened, so it's you know it's neither here nor there. But it just sort of crossed my mind that ooh that would have been that would have been the perfect candidate to give you plausible deniability. Except that what Quoth needs is the mayor's name to get yeah, into these private homes. So yeah. he needs to be able to go and say. Mayor Alvaron asked me to come. And if yeah. he does that, if his wife finds out that yeah, I know this I, is going yeah. on. so Yeah, that crossed my mind too. The last is that, so the last is this, is that Quoth says his two greatest things, this is when he's taking inventory of all of his stuff, his just rewards. The two greatest things that he gained from this adventure were his shade and the sword Kesura. Mm-hmm. And he says, and these were things that I learned that I earned on my own, mm-hmm. not the things that the mayor had given me. And so the argument we had at the beginning of 
whether inherent power or granted power is greater, gets settled oh, in that statement. Snap. Inherent power, bitches. You are so smart. It's really attractive. You married me for a reason. Wow, I have never picked up on that. I love that that they're that they close out this section. And I love how it's book ended too. You know, just real quick, like the next chapter uh, is called A Journey to Return. And it's very short and it's very similar to the chapter where he describes the shipwreck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the beginning of this section. So it's book ended nicely. And I love how it's yeah, book ended. Yeah, that's a book ended there too, yeah. With that, the idea of inherent power versus granted power. That's right. You married me for two reasons. I'm smart and my box smells of lemons. Well, it's got to overpower your feet. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's good. All right. So chapter, anything else on that chapter 140? Uh, No, I have um, a seven word description for chapter 141. All right. Lay it on me. Quoth gets along well with the sailors. You're good with seven words. Thank you. Is there really anything else you need to say about that chapter? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, it's mine. What? One, two, three, four, five. Six. Mine is seven words too. Damn. You wanna, are you ready? Yeah. He doesn't have a knack for knots. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, we didn't even try that. We didn't. You know, I actually didn't. Sometimes the greatest things are when I'm not even trying. Mm-hmm. I actually did not mean to write it out as seven words. It just happened. Wow. Just like in the book. Damn. It's crazy. This is getting a little bit too spooky. It's a little weird. Does P. Roth see us in the shower? I don't know. Did you you bring my my cutoff jeans for the shower? (laughs) So when chapter 142 is called Home. Aw. And Quoth is finally home uh, after being away for three quarters of a year. And he greets his old friends. And there's just basically lots of warm hearts and, and, and warm fuzzies and snuggles all around. All around. A little bit of crying. A little bit of crying. Some tears. S- you know, Simon, he has his moments. He's a sensitive Simmon. boy. He's a sensitive guy. I loved guy. that scene. I loved it. He's my favorite. So Quoth is home, um, and he describes never having experienced the feeling of coming home after a journey because growing up, he always traveled. That was his home. And ever since then, he hadn't really had a place that he thought of as home, but he, he comes back to the university and he's, he's got this, all these warm, fuzzy feelings. He goes to see Simon. Simon is freaks out because apparently when his ship wrecked months and months ago, and then he never wrote anybody Everybody assumed Everybody he died. assumed that he had died. <laughs> and he's like, it never even occurred to me that anyone would check up or would hear about or try to keep tabs on what happened to me. think about it, yeah. Because who would care about me like that? Yeah. I have a confession to make. Lay it on me. So as a child, I was a gypsy. And I grew up traveling and going from place to place to place to place. And so when you travel like that, you don't think about those things. You move on from one town, you move to the next, and you don't know if you're ever going to come back, so you don't think to write. Wow. That is very true. I totally relate. I hadn't thought about that, but you did move a lot as a kid. I was a gypsy. Yeah. So what the gypsies do. Is that how you know about wine bottles not breaking? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> come on, damn it. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh, boy. So anyway, Quilth shows back up. His friends are overjoyed to see him. We find out that Simmons and Fella finally hooked up. They're hooking up. Made me so happy. So what's the, so what's their name? Is it like? Fimmons. Fimmons. Okay, fine. That or Sella, and that's, no. No, that's. It's Fimmons. No, it, you're right. It's Fimmons. Or Fimmon. I'm sorry. I keep adding the S. It's tough. It's tough. It sounds right that way. Also, there's a character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. Simmons, and I've watched that for years. So don't judge me. <laughs> you know what? I was about to say the same thing. Don't judge her for it. She's really a good person. <laughs> so anyway, he hooks back up with his friends. He goes through admissions, and he manages a bit of uh, tomfoolery with the boot with the bursar. Yeah, that was pretty funny. They so they they come up with an arrangement that so he's like, "Hey, I've got this writ, this uh, letter of credit from the mayor who can afford to pay anything. Isn't it a shame? My tuition is. We're both winking. You can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> know what I mean? Know what I mean? Isn't it a shame that my tuition is never more than ten talents? And so they unofficially agree to split any tuition that's more than ten. 10 talents. So Quilt goes in and nod. begins to... Uh, I messed that all up. Do it again. Winks is good as a nod to a blind man. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So they, he it's goes in It's a shame we don't edit. It's a shame we don't edit. I don't know how you'd fix that. I'm sorry. You don't. You don't. You live with it. So he goes in and purposefully botches his admissions gets in a couple of good jokes at Master Hem's expense. And then he goes around and looks for Denna. And I wrote down this quote, even looking for her and not finding her was comforting in a way. In some ways, that seemed to be the heart of our relationship. It's just very... feel like the... So many feelings. There's a foreshadowing bell in there somewhere, but... Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we know from Denna's perspective, she mentions looking for him and never finding him. I've been... I have to admit that these last several um, sections I haven't really been missing her me neither and it's kind of refreshing especially because I'm pretty convinced now that she's going to be how it all falls apart right you know what I was what occurred to me because I think Patrick Rothfuss made some comments in an interview recently about Denna and about he how he didn't intend for her to be unlikable and there certainly some people feel as though it's misogynistic to hate Denna. And I think Patrick Rothfuss... I've always thought that about you. That I'm misogynist? Yeah. <laughs> Just because my box doesn't smell like lemons. <laughs> you don't know that. I don't. Oh, we are not going there. <laughs> anyway, Patrick Rothfuss said... Just remember, <laughs> this is on the internet for forever. You're never going to be able to run for president <laughs> with a box that smells like lemons. <laughs> I had a lofty like political conversation plan, but it's oh, no, gone. I'm, no, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to get it back. Oh, damn. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the question that I've seen raised on some discussion boards is, is it about some kind of, of deep misogyny? And I, I don't want to beat the question of why don't we like Denna to death? We've gone down but, that road. Yeah. But is it a matter of we just don't like females who aren't available for sex? For the main hmm. character, is this? Is it just that we're uncomfortable with that? 
And it made me think, I was thinking in this chapter about, you know, if this was a story, I think if this was a story told from Dennis' perspective, we would hate Quoth. Uh, oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. Because both of them, they just really are parallel to each other. And because, and we talked about this before, because we get to see his inner dialogue and we understand why he is the way he is and why he does what he does, we excuse him for being flaky and for being too afraid to actually put himself out there, even though he's obviously very into her. When Denna does the same thing, we don't. And it's like, you all had that friend who was obsessed with that chick who was terrible for him. Yeah. And even though <laughs> she hadn't really done anything to you, you still kind of hated her just because your friend was such a jackass about the whole situation. Mm. You know, and that's just kind of the dynamic that we have with these two characters. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I absolutely So anyway, agree. my opinion is it's not really about misogyny, but it's more about seeing a character from the outside versus the inside. Well, I, I got the impression from what Patrick Rothfuss said that, you know, Denna was not meant to be a character who was unlikable, also wasn't meant to be a character to make you, you know, to find out where your stance was on misogyny. Denna was meant to be that character that or that person that you fall in love with you know early in your life that you that it just it doesn't work for whatever reason the two of you are too flawed together too much alike you whatever it is it's not gonna happen it's not meant to be that's that's the way i took what he said in that interview we might be thinking about different interviews. Mm, okay, that could be. And Either I don't way, have... there's a there's definitely. I, I feel like anytime he talks to anyone, it's um, why'd you make Dennis such a bitch? Basically, it comes up. Yeah, right. Right after <laughs> who when hurt you, you? Right after when are you going to write the third book? Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, that just was a kind of a for me a new a new thought and a new perspective. And no, I still don't like the character. So, but then he gets to go and and he meets up with Ori, and it's oh, all very. Sweet. That was so sweet. Yay, Ori's back in our life. And and uh, she says, don't leave. Oh, one thing I noticed is that when he finds her, she's up on the roof staring at the moon. Yeah. Which was interesting because in the past, it's mentioned that she's been afraid of the moon. She won't come up when the moon is out. So It's like she's had some growth be, of her own. Might be significant. That we might find out about. In the next book. Perhaps in a novella. Indeed. That we will read next. So at the end, she clutches his hands and says, don't leave again. And he says, I'm never leaving again. But you're like, don't say you jinxed it. Yeah, right, asshole. <laughs> I'll tell you it's who like your mother is the next time I see It's like saying I'll be right back in yeah, the horror movie. Don't fucking say that. Don't say that. You don't say I'll be right back and you don't have sex. Like, exactly. You just don't do it. Now, the only other thing I noticed in this chapter, and, and again, I, I kind of ran out of time. But once again, he goes through his exam questions, mm -hmm. and once again, Lauren gives him a softball. Mm. And, and if, and I haven't had a chance to go back through and read all the questions, but I feel like every time he goes in there, Lauren always gives him a softball question. Now that would lead you to think, okay, does Lauren like him? And want him to, he's part of the aim, or does he want to like recruit him? Does he want to make things easy for him? Does he want to help Quoth along? I don't know. As we've said before, he seemed much more like an antagonist than somebody, 
who would be helping Quoth along. So it seems strange that he would, you know, want to perma-ban him from the archives and yet at the other end of it want to help him. So I don't know that that means anything. And again, I haven't had a chance to go back and really confirm it, but it's something that I thought about. Somebody wanted to go back and take a look at those. They could, they could let us know. Yeah, that's interesting. So that concludes our chapter. It does. And our section. And our section. So next week, we're reading to the end. The end of the book. Yay. 143 through the epilogue. I'm assuming there's an epilogue. There may not be. Yes. All right. So I got predictions. Predicted. You want to hear my predictions? I do. I've got some damn predictions for you. So first one is that the lockless box contains the key to the stone door. That's a good one. Uh, so that's my first one. So my second one is that Cauticus is employed by Brayden. That's a good one too. My last one is that, and this is a wild card, the human aimer were infiltrated by the agents of the Chandrian. Ooh. Now you're getting like super tinfoily. Well, you know, I mean... Somebody's got to put together the guest list for the white party. I like it. Yeah. Cool stuff, huh? Yeah. At the end, I have a game. Lay it on me. No, at the end. Oh, okay. At the end. This is not the end? No, this is not. Well, we got to do interactions. Interactions. And then okay. we'll play our game. So, we got two new likes on Facebook. So, thank you to Judd Taylor and also uh, Jose Achoa. And we also got a nice message from Judd Taylor as well. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but he, you know, listened to what we had last episode, and he was like, I was debating whether or not to get the Liza Locke-Lamora or Joe Abercrombie's The First Law Trilogy, and I went with the Joe Abercrombie, and now, damn it, I have to go out and buy Liza Locke-Lamora. <laughs> By the way, Joe Abercrombie is fantastic, and I love all of his stuff, too. So The First Law Trilogy is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. We had um, several uh, conversations with uh, Theo, who uh, Theo, who is at uh, the OGB on Twitter. Uh, we were conversing with him through Facebook mostly, um, and you know, it caused me to realize that his handle on Twitter we always say as the OGB. Really, it's Theo GB, Theo Graham Brown. But I just like saying the OGB better. It's pretty cool. I just like to say it. Makes him sound like like a title, like a yeah. star, you know? So I'm just, I'm calling him the OGB because I like it. So, but we had several, several conversations, uh, one of which kind of leads into our questions. We put out there, hey, does anybody have any questions about this episode? And one of the things that Theo said was, how the hell did Quoth get from Severin to Imre in a boat? That is such a good question. Well, if you, <laughs> and, and I, again, I never look at the maps because I have an e-reader and the map is completely useless anyway. So, but it did occur to me when he said that, that on his trip to Severin, although he went by boat for a chunk of it, there was also a chunk that he went over land. I think, didn't he take a boat to June Pui and then from there he had to ride on a horse or something like that? I think his question is, how is there a docks at Severin? When you look at the map oh. in the old book and, and it's 
it doesn't look like a river or anything watery comes even near to it. Hmm. So I think it's just a matter of the map at least. And we, and I, we don't have the 10th anniversary edition yet, but it will. How can we have a podcast about this book and not have that goddamn 10th anniversary? I, I don't know just because bookstores are far away and I, my life is not that together. You guys, <laughs> got my emissions tested like a month late i'm <laughs> i'm skating on like one leg basically in life right now so no we don't have it yet but if you do probably the maps are better but i remember reading somewhere that the map in the original edition is purposefully vague and not terribly correct mm, okay so anyway yes i i did wonder that when then i i looked at the map in the version we have and was like oh yeah what kind of weird like air sky boat did he take because there's <laughs> is this a steampunk novel that we don't no know no water anywhere around there he put on his That's goggles a very good question exactly steampunked his ass over to imray <laughs> Steampunked his ass. It's a verb. <laughs> Fuck you. It's a verb. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, so we got a couple of other questions. Um, oh, I think Theo also asked oh, about. Um, I tell you, we're going to probably forget some stuff. We had so many interactions. I don't think we could get through them all without right. it being a three-hour podcast. But anyway, I agree. Well, this is a question he had about, and I think we kind of actually answered it already about, uh, did we find his talk with the mayor and the fight with Lady Lackless? Um, do we feel like it came off as kind of contrived, um, not naturally reflecting how he's grown as a diplomat and more like the story needed to go that way. So he acted that way. Um, I didn't find it that way. Yeah, I don't. And we kind of talked about that. But again, yeah. I see it as a natural extension of his character growth and his experience with um, with the troop and saving the girls and taking them back to Leventure. And I think all of that caused him to feel like he needed to stand up for his people. Yeah, I, I agree <clears throat> with that. I mean, I think I take it from a slightly different set of personal qualities, but but I think we're basically... We're basically getting to the same point. But no, I, didn't, I actually didn't think that was contrived. I felt like there are other parts that I've felt like maybe are a little contrived, but that part I didn't feel like was. Cool. All right. Yeah. Do the next. So we got an, a question from Ian, uh, Ian Crone, Ian James Crone, who said, how much malnutrition did he suffer from the years in being in Tarbian and did that stunt his growth? Oh, that question makes me so sad. Right. Well, those would have been like prime kind of growing years for him. Yeah. It's weird because you never really, you know, if this was a Tolkien novel, everybody's height would be clearly delineated. Tolkien was very big on how tall people were. Right. But Patrick Rothfuss does not seem to care. So I don't remember that many descriptions of people's heights other than like every once in a while, Quoth will talk about women whose heads only come up to his shoulder or heads resting on his chin. So I get the impression that he does, he doesn't seem to, he seems to be kind of a, you know, a physically average dude. Like I don't get the impression that he's particularly small. Um, I agree. I would say, however, that I feel that Kvothe is emotionally stunted. I feel that oh, his yeah. emotional growth stopped 
when he experienced the trauma of his parents' death. So do and you take like, the question to be more? Because I took it more to no, be No, no, no. I one. think that, yeah. that his question is about height and physical growth. And I agree with you. It doesn't seem to me like he's got any physical issues with regards to that. But I think you can definitely see the the kind of cognitive and emotional um growth you can see this the delays there uh, well yeah i agree with that i, I do th- think that his point is accurate that you would think that he would have been malnourished during that period of time and it probably would have led to him having some issues with with growth you know and maybe the dude would have been six foot two if it I, who knows but but um hard to say but i didn't i didn't i didn't think about that that's an interesting question not one i would have thought of and then uh elliot Cossum said Dreamcasting for Tempe, and then he sent me a link to an IMDb page for a gentleman by the name of Alex Malari Jr. And I sent him back, no, here's a better one. And I sent him the IMDb page for John Goodman. (laughs) And then he replied, yeah, but can he keep his back straight in a fight, though? (laughs) Which I thought was hilarious. That's pretty hilarious. So... So you know who can keep his back straight in a fight? Who's that? Daniel Craig. Bullshit. <laughs> Why? Why you got to go? <laughs> James Franco really needs the work. Daniel you know Craig what? is doing fine. You're you're starting to win me over. I could see it. <laughs> right. It's clearly James Franco. It's true. Tempe is kind of a doofus. If it's not James Franco, then it's got to be John Goodman. <laughs> Listen. Did you see uh, John Goodman in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes. He is a badass fighter. Very Tempe-like. So the other thing I want to talk about, we're not going to be able to go through every interaction, unfortunately, because there's just too many of them. Uh, And we don't want to have a three-hour podcast. But we love the interactions, so keep them coming. But the other big thing that I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about was the news that we got around the King Killer Chronicle television show that's going to be coming out with Lin-Manuel Miranda and Lionsgate on Showtime. I don't want to talk about that. You don't want to talk about it? No. I think people, we had a lot of interactions. I think people have mostly been positive about it. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I just, I don't know. Well, this was, this was the, the points that I heard and I, I think I agree with them. So there's a lot of people who said like you, what do you mean? They're not doing quoth? You know, and that is sort of a head scratcher. Like, what? You're not doing quotes. But think about this. So with Game of Thrones, you know, we were all excited for it. By the time it got to the fourth, fifth, sixth season, we were like, are you kidding me? No, only cat. What the hell? Like, mm. everybody was ranting and raving, mm. angry, because things didn't go perfectly in line. I think this book is even harder to adapt, attempt to adapt to a television medium. It's not hard. You just have to do it exactly the same. And that's not going to happen. So why not let them go write something that would work better for television? And think of it this way. Now we just get extra content. So rather than getting a regurgitation of the books, which would be cool, now we get extra additional content. But I want the lay of Sir Savian. You'll get it. I'd better. You're going to get it because it's going to be... You think it's going to be about Arladin? It's going to be about Arladin the Bard and young Elodin and the adventures of Abanthe. We'll see. I mean, if it wasn't Lin-Manuel Miranda, I would be more 
Well, the people that they have, I think, are Not doing blessed. are doing yeah. well. Showtime, I think, also has come around and had mm-hmm. like some of the shows that have been on Showtime, like Homeland, and some of the other shows mm-hmm. have been really good. So, mm-hmm. so I feel like Showtime is better than they were, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have trusted them to do something like this. Yeah, I mean, the idea of the show not having, being a prequel to the books is kind of like, uh, we'll see. Um, I'm still not on board with all three books being put into one movie. Well, and, and they're not, I mean, we heard that at one point that that was a plan and we haven't heard it since then. Yeah. So I'm hoping that somebody smacked somebody around and got, you know, smack some sense into them. Yeah. Because that, to me, doesn't make sense either. Yeah, that sounds crazy. Yeah, I can't believe that. So, but but some good stuff there. So thank you for the interactions. Lots of really good interactions, and we love them. And if we weren't already, you know, going on an hour and 45 minutes, we would probably get into the So it happens when you get us talking about boxes. I know, right? So instead, we're going to play a game. Okay. Let's do the game. Okay. So the game is, who said it? Okay. So I'm going to give you a quote. This quote is from one of the characters. Mm. You have to tell me who said it. In this book. In. In this world. Correct. Okay. Correct, yeah. So a childish historian would have very little interest in writing the history of a heretic branch of a pagan church. Willem. Good. Yes. Very proud of you. That was a good one. Thank you. It was not super easy. All right, next one. That was a brush with the old days, wasn't it? Consertation with demons. Good Lord. The Chancellor? Elksadal. In the chapter where he tells Quoth to, knew it was... to go away. Go away, Quoth. I thought it was the Chancellor or... I knew it was one of the, one of the teachers. This is tough. It's that's a good one. Yeah. This is tough. Like mm-hmm. what we're doing here is tough. Taylor hates you even more than the rest of the world does, which is quite a bit. This one's probably the hardest one. No, it isn't, but it's a, still a tough one. I mean, I guess I'm going to guess Ambrose, but I don't really think it's that. Scarpy. Mm. Scarpy from when the Taylor When they're taking him away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Quoth is crap at interesting fact. Well, that's, uh, that's a load in. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. At least when I don't agree, I speak my mind. I don't take the coward's way out. This one's tough. But it wasn't that long ago. Is it Quoth? Dayton. And this one, I think, is the I think this is the hardest one. You must want to kill someone really badly to shoot a gold arrow at him. Why not just keep the gold and go home? Is it Martin? That is Denna when they are in the cave and she's all hopped mm. up on Denna resin. Yeah. You've had the bit in your teeth for a couple days now, haven't you? I know the look. I'll give you a hint. This one is very recent. Oh, um, oh gosh. The lady in Levenshire, the That's I I'll give it to you. Gran. Gran. Judges? I'm sorry, the judges say no. They're being dicks. <laughs> I wanted to say Magda. Mag you were thinking Magwin from I was thinking of Magwin, yeah. yeah. 
The wise ones have not been pleased that you make them come to you. Only a fool displeases the wide ones, and I have not taken you for a fool. Vachette? That was actually a trick question. That was uh, Sulin from I Path knew of Daggers it. by Robert Jordan. I knew it, you bastard. Speaking to Paranabara. I was like, that's a wheel of time phrase. There are wise ones in this <laughs> world. You should have said it. I should have. You know I'm a tricky bastard. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have like pulled Sulin out of the air, but No, that's I, crazy. I was yeah. like, that's I was like, there are wise ones in Tamaran. <laughs> Thank God. Oh my God. If there Wise were ants to die here, Jesus. Ass. My goodness. Right. That's some misogyny for you. <laughs> so you can find us on Twitter at the DD Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Duke and Duchess. You can also find us on our website at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. If you love us, read us, uh, excuse me, rate us and review us on iTunes. But if you really love us, tell a friend. Good night, everybody. You're supposed to say pimp us out, yo. Pimp us out, that's, yo. That's your line. I fucked up. I'm sorry. That's, I mean, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.